So if you have your Bible tonight, I want to turn to the Word of the Lord, the First Kings, the 17th chapter. And I want to begin reading verse number 10. First Kings, the 17th chapter, and verse number 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The, the barrel of meal shall not waste, and neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. I want to minister for a few moments tonight on this subject. Inconvenienced for an opportunity. Inconvenienced for an opportunity. Can we pray together? Father, I love you. And I praise you, Lord, this evening, God. I need you, Lord, to speak to all these wonderful men and women and children of God that have taken their time to come and be in this service, I ask you, Lord, that you speak, Lord, clearly to us tonight. Clear, Lord, in this house for the purpose and the mission that is at hand. We'll be sure, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Kings 17 and 1 opens up. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these days, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning. And bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of that brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Look at your neighbor and say the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. Can you picture the shock and disappointment as Elijah walked out 
to the brook to get his daily water supply. He looked down upon the dry brown stones of the brook bed and could scarcely believe what he saw. Not a drop of water remained in that brook. A terrible tragedy had overtaken Elijah. The brook had dried up. We have no way of knowing how long God tested his prophet by the barren brook. For a time at least Elijah had to wait in faith. It probably seemed that all the promises were failing. God had abandoned him to an agonizing death in the parched wilderness. But as he lingered and as he listened, God spoke these words. Arise. Arise. Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I commanded a widow woman to sustain thee there. Arise. Like we'd say it in Wilson, North Carolina. Get up. You've been here long enough. God's provided for you and your needs long enough. God has proven himself to you long enough. God has fed you in the wilderness long enough. God has met you on Wednesday and Sunday night long enough. Get up. Arise. And get down to Zarephath. Look at someone else and say, arise. Look at somebody and look them down in the eye and tell them it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to quit mooching on the blessings of God and not giving anything to the kingdom of God. It's time for you to stop whining and crying and begging and pleading for prayer from your man of God when you need to be praying for somebody else. Get up! I know your brook's dried up, but God let your brook dry up to get you up out from where you're at and to send you somewhere because somebody is depending upon you. Elijah was inconvenienced. He had become used to the lifestyle of provision. Water at the brook, shade provided for him. Ravens come in the morning and in the evening and dropped him what he needed. Sounds like a pretty good church plant to me. No need of anything. His words coming to pass. Everybody around him knows he's the man of God. They know he pastors the church that has all power in heaven and in earth. They know that they're born again believers. They know the Pentecostals and Anderson are Jesus' name, blood-bought, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost, revival-filled people. He was living in the luxuries of life in a beautiful sanctuary, lights trimmed just right, ceiling just blacked out, music right on key, praise and worship directors, voices that they love to have in Hollywood. Everything was doing good, but there was somebody back in the city that was dealing with what God said they deal with. There was a way out, but the only way out was through the God that Elijah served. The God that Elijah was making provision for him. And God looked at Elijah and said, looks like he'll stay here until I do something to get him up from here. There's some people that are in need. And I I love my man of God. I love the church that he pastors. But I've got to let some things dry up in order for them to leave this beautiful place and go to where there's some people 
people that's crying out, please, God, send somebody. It was inconvenience for Elijah. He had been inconvenienced. All of his luxuries that he had were gone. I'm on a timer. I'm, I'm going to be all right. He's, got, he's, he's, he's provided for him. But now his brook's dried up. He says, I want you to get up and go to Zarephath. When you go to Zarephath, there's a woman there that's going to sustain you. However, you never find in the Word of God that God had a conversation with the woman. God's conversation with that woman would be through His man. He had provided for him. He said, get up. It was all about from the beginning. It was all about from the beginning God providing for Elijah and his people. Just because your brook dries up does not mean God has forgotten about you. No. You're not, you're not hearing me. Just because there's a little dry spell in your immediate family and, 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 and things are not going like you think they should and you come to church and you're in a red hot prayer meeting and you walk out of that prayer meeting hearing pastors say, now let's go worship God and you get in here and your kids are not the ones getting the Holy Ghost and you're not the one running around the building because you just feel so much joy. Just because you're going through that doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. He's actually trying to get you to a place. He loves you so much that he wants to provide for you. But in order to get you to where he wants you to get, he has to dry up some things in your life. Modern day intellect and society that every church has to be governed and run in the same manner. I lost somebody. Every church needs to preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every church, every apostolic church needs to preach repentance, baptism in Jesus' name. The only way to be baptized. Neither is there salvation in any other. We baptize according to Matthew 28, 19. We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Every apostolic church is preaching that. Just because God's blessing the church three states from you and it seems like everything is going well there, but yet you've met your dried up brook here does not mean God has forgotten about you. You see, he's always working. You may be seated. He's always working to provide for his church. So he said, I'm going to let this dry up for you, Elijah. But at the same time, if you'll get up and you'll get on down to Zarephath, there's a woman there that's going to sustain you. Elijah was only thinking about really himself because he probably would have never got up and moved had God not said there's provision for you. But God is God. And God doesn't think like us. And God doesn't act like us. And God doesn't look at the guest that walks in the door like some of us. And God doesn't look at the alcoholic like us. 
You see, the only way God can sometimes advance his people is to cause things in their life to go away. Sometimes the only way God can advance his church is to allow some blessings that we've lived on for generation after generation to dry up and be gone. I know there's a hole in the church without Bishop Bingham, but God is the governor of this congregation. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I understand when bishops die, and there's been many in the year 2020, we don't serve the bishop we serve the God of the bishop and there's been brooks that's tried up and God said you may be seeing God saying get on down to Anderson we're going to start a school and that school is going to sustain you Yeah, I know that's that's how that's how you feel. It's okay. Let it soak in. That's how that's how you feel when you when you heard it. Kind of like, how's a school gonna sustain me? How's a school gonna sustain our church? How, how's a school gonna keep us where we need to be? It seems like things have dried up, and and now when we should be worried about keeping the lights on and and keeping the long and manicured and and keep getting new carpet. Now, pastor stood up and said, "I feel an urgency that we need to go full fledged with this, and we're gonna raise the finances." You hear what I said? We are going to raise the finances. Finances. Brother Thornton's going to take a revival tomorrow, an offering tomorrow night during a revival, and you're going to raise the finances. Because there's a woman down in Seraphath, and God said if we just get to where she's at, that God's going to sustain his people. You may be seated. So they head down to Seraphath. Elijah does. And when he heads down to the gates of the city, when he walks in, he found, finds that widow woman. You know what she's doing? She's gathering sticks. Do you know why she's gathering? Sure you do. She's gathering sticks because she's going to, to build a fire. And she's going to take that little bit of meal that she's got down in the barrel that she's got left. And that little bit of oil and that cruise. And she's going to bake herself and her son a cake. And they're going to die. She knows. She hasn't expressed it to her son. She hasn't told her neighbors. But evidently she'd been praying to the one God that all I have is just enough. And God said, I love you so much woman that I'm going to let my man's brook completely dry up and I'm not only just going to sustain him but I'm going to sustain Elijah enters his, his, his inconvenience but now he sees an opportunity he finds the woman gathering sticks and then he says to her would you go fetch me some water now, I don't know how, to, how this works in Indiana. But I can tell you if I told Sister Garnett in the backyard picking up sticks on a hot summer day, Beth, go fetch me a little water. That she would respond, I got something I ain't got to fetch for you. So you know this was a God thing by the way he spoke to her. I don't know if she knew him or not. If she did know him as the prophet, she's looking at him saying, well, if it wasn't for you and what you said, I wouldn't have been in this situation. But regardless, she went and she fetched him some water. 
And then he said, how about you go bake me a cake? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go get you some water, and now you're sorry, carcass. <laughs> Belly hang over your belt, got, got Dunlap disease and everything else. You've been by a brook. It's dried up three days ago, and you're starving. Me and my son's been barely making it, and now you're asking me to bake. She didn't go into none of that detail. She said, what you don't understand is I'm fixing to bake me and my son one. We're going to eat it, and we're going to die. And if I bake you one, I won't have enough. But then Elijah understood why God had allowed his brook. Something come over Elijah, and he spoke to the woman, and he said, Listen, if you'll bake me a cake first, I want you to understand that every time you go to that barrel and that cruise until it rains... There's always going to be enough oil, and there's always going to be enough cruise. So she made him a cake. I got to go. And the Bible says that every day after that, until it rained. Remember when you stumbled in, or you remember when you were invited into, or maybe you were born in and got old enough to come to the altar. Do you remember who was there with you most of the time first, or right around the corner, or in and out to encourage you in your walk with God, it was your men of God and their wives constantly telling you that everything is going to get better. It's going to be all right. Their brook dried up, but yet they still had a word for you. And in your blessing, it calls them for their faith to be built. Don't forget what the man of God told you. And don't forget, Pentecostals of Anderson, your local church and the visions and the dreams that your man of God has displayed in the last month or so concerning a Christian school. Don't forget that in your abundance when you had nothing, but God stepped into your nothing and he calls you to have a whole, whole lot. Don't forget that when the rain begins to fall, don't become lazy and just sit amongst the congregation, but get out and plant and water so they can be a harvest. We're entering a planting and a watering place right now. I know God's dealing with some of you. He dealt with some of you last night when you carry stones and you're making memories and something for your children to look back on in years and months to come. But tonight, God's speaking to everybody here, every member of the Pentecost of Anderson. You can do something. It has rained and it has rained a while. It has been raining in this local church for months and years. And now God is saying, it's time for you to quit going to the barrel and get on out in the field and get what you need in your life. Stop. Somebody say every time. Somebody say every time. She went to the barrel, she had enough. Every time she went to the, to the cruise, she had enough oil. Every time they lived, Elijah's shouting just like we are tonight. And now this woman's dancing and carrying on every morning she goes and there's provision. But something happened just a few days after. Son died. This woman's been inconvenienced. The man of God's been inconvenienced. The man of God was inconvenienced for the widowed woman. The widowed woman was inconvenienced for the man of God. But now the son dies and inconveniences the mom and the man of God. 
And the whole time through all these inconveniences, it was all in God's eyes an opportunity. It was in 1986 in a local church, Wilson, North Carolina. Things were going well. The brook was flowing. It had exceeded its banks there at the time. A 72-year-old pastor, 69, 72-year-old pastor with a 39-year-old son-in-law that was about to take the reins. The church was doing well. Things were happening. We had just finished building an outreach center that I thought was so awesome at the age of 12. Basketball goal on both ends. We didn't have to rent a gym anymore. Now we had one of our own. It was dedicated on May the 24th, 1986. Things were looking up. There was a Christian school that was on the drawing board that when the outreach center was completed, there would be another building, 60 by 75, on the end of it that would house and be the first phase of our Christian school. I was a 7th grader, 8th grader in middle school, and I was looking forward to going to that Christian school by passing the, the ups and the downs of a local high school. And something happened. The brook dried up. I mean, we're dedicating a building on May 24th, which is my birthday. It was so good. I, I, I was a great gift on my birthday. It was my own gym. And then just a few short months later, in September, midway, after a great revival, my dad becomes sick. Two weeks later, he heads off to Duke Medical Center. Nine days later, I get the word on the side of the bed on an early Sunday morning from my mother who was 36 years old. I had two younger brothers who were nine. I got the news on an early Sunday morning, October the 12th, 1986, that through the night there was complications with dead situation and he took his last breath ravens quit flying brook dried up to a place it was only dust I remember walking into that same church where there felt to be so much life and now there was so much darkness God how inconvenient was this at the age of 13 years old. And I only wonder now, at my age, how my grandfather felt when everything he had invested now is gone. There's no one else. No one else there in his eyes is capable of doing the job. But God had other plans. God will sacrifice your convenience to get what he wants from you. plans laid on the table the church carried it out I watched my mother in an offering just three months after dad died we nearly lost everything I watched her take an offering to the altar and lay it on the steps she walked away tears flowing down her face it was only three months later since she lost her husband she laid it on the altar and she said, I remember her saying these words to some in the church. I'll carry two by fours. I'll buy them one by one. 
Uh, we'll do what we have to do to get that Christian school built. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. In 1987, they began building that school just a few months after Dad died. My grandfather, I could tell he wanted nothing to do with it. He had lost it seemingly all. But the church, through the grief and through the sorrow, propelled by a vision that a man had, understood that, hey, the brook may be dry, but there's a widow woman that walked to an altar and laid something there. And if we can somehow salvage this woman and her three boys, if it takes the completion of a Christian school, we don't know if it'll ever fill. We don't know what potential it has. I've heard some say, I don't want anything to do with it. It's a, it's a, it's a headache. I, I don't want anything to do with it. But many joined in and said, there's something to all of this. this I know it's an inconvenience. I, I know we don't want another light bill. I, I know we don't want other bodies around the church throughout the week and, and causing this and buying more uh, toilet paper and buying more styrofoam cups and having to bring in lunches but but listen if this is going to sustain somebody let's just get in there and do it because it's not just about us let me tell let me tell some of us men and women in here tonight if you're just soaking up and sucking up the air conditioning or the heat in this building and you think it's just about you it's time for you to shake yourself and get up from where you're at and get on down to Cherith because there's a widow woman that's got some children So I watched them put that building together. 13, 14 years old, I stapled up insulation in the walls of the place that I would sit one day and be educated. In 1987, the fall of 87, that building was complete. They opened up the doors. They named the school W.E. Garnett Christian Academy. It's not named after me. It was named after my father. They named it, put a big sign up. They enrolled 15 or 16 children in that school that year. Me included. My two twin brothers included. It was a small beginning, but it's been going every year since 1987. 87, 88, 89, 90. I remember in the spring of 90, a girl walked in with her mother. She walked in, went to the office Next thing I knew, she was enrolled. She walked into the learning center, and when she walked into the learning center, me, a 17-year-old kid, said, Thank you, Lord, for allowing that brook to begin to fill up. I didn't know where she came from. I didn't care if she was apostolic at the time. I was just glad she walked in. It's a breath of fresh air. Every kid in the school that was old enough wanted to go out with her. She denied them all. They dare me to ask her out. And then my mother said, you better not ask her out because she's not apostolic. Her mother brought her to that Christian school because she had skipped school. And the school then said, well, we're giving you 10 days suspension. Her mother was so frustrated and angry and said, well, she did that. And now you're going to turn around and, and, and suspend her? That's what she wants. She said, I'm going to look through the book and I'm going to find your school to enroll you in. And she looked. She called the bigger Christian schools in town. She'll testify to this. She gives a testimony. And it was a busy sign. She said, I found W.A. Garnett Christian Academy in the book. I called it. They answered. I 
said, I want to enroll her today. I'm not going to allow the world to overtake her and take her out from what I've taught her all of her life. So they enrolled her. She came to the Christian school. 1991, we graduated together. Two weeks later, we were married. I'll never forget the first night Beth Garnett walked in as Beth Conway. The first service she was ever in was at a camp meeting at Fort Casuals, North Carolina. She actually tried to call her mother because it got so radical as it was tonight. But she didn't have any signal. She remained the rest of that week. And in the back of the conference center, Brother Robert Martin would take her and and tell her what was actually going on. She came home that weekend. I didn't see her on Sunday morning. Sunday night, she walks into the church. She sits on the second row. When she walks into the church, that that first time she walks in, she she said that there was a lady that was very self-righteous. A lady in the foyer, um, whatever she was doing. She said she remembers her telling some other when she walked through the foyer of the church that night, she'll never be anything. Just look at her. Needless did she know that one day she would graduate from that school that was hewn out of a dried up brook. Not only would she graduate from that school, but she would marry the bishop and the late Garnett's son, grandson. Not only would she marry him, but 15 years later, they would be installed as the pastor and pastor's wife of the church that started that school because their brook dried up. We're going somewhere. So in 2000, they installed us as pastor. I'll never forget walking into a damaged family of God. My first Sunday as pastor, there were maybe 12 in attendance. Four of them were me and my young family. I remember, Brother Thornton, looking out at the crowd and thinking, God, I know I heard from you. But I, I'm, are, we, are we really, are you sure that I'm leaving the life that I love and the thing I love doing? Are you sure I'm supposed to be here? I don't see anything here, but I do, Sean. That's why I've got you here. I remember being told the finances of the church. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to keep the lights on. Where will we work? I remember doing what I had to do through construction, whatever other means I had to do, working a Christian school that was still up and going. The church maybe had 8 to 12. Christian school at the time had 30 to 40 or 50. The school now was sustaining the church. And so one day in prayer, God spoke to me and said, I know you're whining and complaining about what you don't have. There's about 50 kids in that building at the end of your property that you hardly ever walk in there and say hello to. I know they're only kindergartners, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, twelfth graders, and so on and so forth. 
But, you know, they got souls, too, and they got mamas and daddies that drive on your parking lot every single day and drop them off. And... So why don't you stop complaining and just go to the barrel? There's something there left. Why don't you stop complaining and until it rains, just use what I'm going to give you and I'm going to provide for you. Why don't you stop saying, I wonder how we're going to have revival and just start praying and using the tools I've given you to have revival. Get on in the school. So then you know what we did? We started chapel services. We started having church at 12 o'clock on Wednesday. I'm talking about church. We played. I, I preached. Alders started filling up. We started baptizing people in chapel. Parents of the kids started coming to chapel and seeing their kids being baptized. And then they bring them to Sunday morning and they would want to be baptized. One family after another. I'm looking over here and I, I see these seats over here that nobody's sitting in. I see a few seats over here nobody's sitting in. About 10 or 12 over here that nobody's sitting in. Maybe 30 or 40 over here that nobody's sitting in. I think you need to buy chairs before you start the school because when you start the school, these chairs in here are going to fill up and you're going to wonder how in the world did it happen because we stopped looking at a dried up brook and we went to the widowed woman. The widowed woman's got children. The world is dying, but they got children. I know it's messed up. I know it's all kind of mess going on. I know there's transgender. I know there's lesbianism and homosexuality. But hear me, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the church to quit whining and complaining about what we don't have and offer the world what we do have. Somebody clap your hands and shout, I believe it. Come on, somebody clap your hands and shout, I believe it. I know this is crazy right here, but if you need healing or you need a miracle in your family, if you'll run right now, God's going to give it to you. I know it's out of the blue, but if you'll run right now, God's going to give it to you. You got to get away from that tried up brook. You're going to die there if you stay there too long. Go ahead and carry it to the widow woman. Go ahead and get it to the widowed woman. Go ahead and get it to the widowed woman. Why? Because a widow woman's got a son. You know what God's doing? in 2021 with all these great men of God and this wonderful great congregation you may be seated he is he is putting us together for such a time as this while some want to do nothing but reap many benefits there are a multitude in Anderson Indiana that don't want to sit back and do nothing we are ready to put our hand to the plow because it's been raining for a while and our fields are ripe for harvest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The son died. God's put us together as a church to start an identity connected to the church which is a Christian school that will help the dying children. Could it be that when Elijah, I got to hurry tonight. Could it be that when Elijah laid himself on the child three times, three times he laid himself on the child, an opportunity 
an inconvenience for him and the woman, but an opportunity for the son. It's an inconvenience probably for the church and for the school staff. But for the kids, it's an opportunity to dance and shout and talk in tongues and be baptized and raise their family that won't be dysfunctional, that won't end in divorce in the church. To some of you, $5,000 may seem too much, but to that widow woman who's praying every night, God help me with my teenage kid who's addicted to drugs and alcohol, to them, they give everything they had just to put them somewhere. You can be seated. It's an inconvenience. Could it be he stretched himself upon that child to represent God's identity, his people, the church? Could it be he stretched himself upon that child to represent the local, the family, he and his mother? And third, just for the sake of preaching tonight and this conference, could it be that he stretched himself upon that child representing that Christian school identity? That would breathe life into that boy. That would cause him to live again. I've come tonight to preach to you about the inconveniences of about what you're about to step into. I did not come to discourage you, but I come to tell you the truth. Every time there is an inconvenience, it is always followed by an opportunity. Don't you let the devil keep you where you're at. I don't know how many is here tonight that was here when this building was built by your bishop and his wife and the inconveniences that come through it all. But 15 years later, you're still in it. It's filling up. I said it's looking good in here. But if they'd have quit because of the obstacle of the finances, you would have never had the opportunity to worship and your life be changed in what you're in. And Anderson wouldn't have had a beacon of light like you got right now. The inconveniences. 26 years old. I began to cultivate that school that God had allowed me to go to. That my mother had laid down the foundation and said in a broken spirit and heart, let's do it. You know why she said let's do it? Not just because of a husband, but because of three boys that she knew would probably not survive without a dad and a God. And ladies and gentlemen, in the systems that we are in today... They are trying to erase everything that has to do with God. I'm very careful tonight. I honor every public school teacher, every college professor. My church is full of them, and I, and I respect you. You have put in years of education, but you cannot deny what they are trying to do. It doesn't mean you're not a good teacher doesn't mean you're not a good principal. Neither does it mean you have to talk against what's about to happen just to make your public identity look better than a Christian school. Because I tell you what, I'd rather have my kids know how to be baptized any day than do the new math. I'd rather have my kids tongue-talking and shouting around these walls any day than playing basketball on a college arena. You can be seated. You can be seated. Luke, Luke Garnett, would you stand up for a minute? He's not a boy anymore. I honor him as a man. He's 22 years old. Yes, he is single. And we brought gifts to the family in exchange for a wife. Public schools in our city 
would come and watch him play basketball for our Christian school. We didn't win many games. We kept the standard. We pulled some upsets. We didn't get beat bad many times. But it was all because of the talents of him and the few that played with him. Christian schools in our area, one called me and said, I'll pay for Luke's tuition. I'll pray for his younger daughter and any other kids you got if you'll let him come and play basketball with us for the next two years. He'll take us to state champions. I asked him about it. and He said, Dad, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. At 17 years old in a Christian school environment, that boy, that young man over there got his call to the ministry. And needless to say, he'd have got that call to the ministry on a basketball court worried more about a ball, three-point stats, practices on Sunday. But in a Christian school over there, he got his call to the ministry. Oh, say, oh, oh, you better be careful. Haven't you learned that your brook dries up? You hear me tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You hear me tonight. God's sustaining this church, and he sustains it this way. According to the ministry, you may be seated. Thank you, Luke. Out of that abundance, out of that cultivating, through the years, it's been inconvenient. I was standing right here, ever how many years ago, with my family here, preaching a winter youth retreat, when my phone went off. I stepped out the back here to take it. It was unlike anybody called me. They knew where I was. Why were they calling me? They called and said, Brother Garnett, it is the biggest mess. They had a basketball game at another Christian school. Things got out of hand between parents that didn't attend the church on both sides. They closed the gym, kicked us out. Are y'all hearing me? Well, I'm a one God, apostolic tongue, talking holy, roller, born again, heaven bound, believer, in the liberated power. I've been kicked out. Kicked out. I was so mad, and I had to step up here and preach this youth convention. I wanted to say a few things that would have had to been under the blood of Jesus Christ. I told my wife when I was done that night, I'm going home and I'm closing down that mess. I mean, I'm so tired of it. It seems like every time you turn around, a teacher wants to quit. Somebody's trying to cause division. But isn't that just about anything that's worth doing? Are y'all still with me tonight? So I went home and I took care of what I needed to take care of with and we moved on. I got just a few things I'd like to share with you tonight concerning Christian school. I, I remember, I remember when a teacher called me and said, I need to meet with you this evening. And I walked in the office and she said, It's either him or me. Now you got to understand this is our main teacher, head teacher. Right there next, she would have been the next principal. And I said, Are you saying? That you're asking me to kick this boy out. And if I don't kick him out of school, you're going to quit. That's what I'm saying. I said, I can't kick him out. I know he's aggravating. I know he turns around in his seat a thousand times a day. I just can't kick him out. I didn't kick him out. I won't forget one Sunday night, the same guy. We were in there having church. And the usher brought him in the church. I saw him. He had him by the collar. And I was like, oh, my God. 
Take your hands off of That's somebody's youngin', man. Come on. Mama's up there pleading the blood, and Usher's about there about to ring. I, got, I called him. I saw him. I called him. I said, put him down. At the church, he brings him to me, grabs his mama. I caught these two boys right here. This boy, one of them right here. They broke into school. They were in there in the score keys. And they were writing all their answers in. And I just kind of listened to it, and I was like, okay. All right. Thank you for letting me know. I appreciate it. I'm glad you caught them. Teacher, what are you going to do with them? What do you want me to do with them? Sometimes we come to our man of God asking him, what are you going to do about it? What do you want him to do about it? Kick them back to the world? Let me tell you some of your moms and dads, one day your brook's going to dry up and you're going to wish, you're going to hope to God there's a man of God in this pulpit that shows mercy to your children when they're not doing exactly what you think they ought to do. You're going to pray to God that school gets up and going before next school year so your kids can be in it. If it's up and running, you ought to give God so much praise and glory and thank God that your kids are in a safe place. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to do, I don't know. I tell you what we're going. We're going to suspend it. All right, we suspend it. He comes back. I mean, he aggravates the staff for a good two years. His latter part in junior in high school, he he levels out. The guy levels out. He's bringing his teachers chocolates and flowers. He is now one of the favorites. And I want I want so bad to go to them teachers and say, "Want me to kick him out now?" Give me them flowers. I'm going to kick him out. I mean, he's so, he's so humble. He's got one of the biggest, tenderest hearts. He goes through senior and high school. He's got the tender heart. He gets baptized. He gets the Holy Ghost. His mama gets baptized. She gets the Holy Ghost. His daddy gets baptized. He gets the Holy Ghost. His sister gets baptized. She gets the Holy Ghost. His aunt gets baptized. He's got family after family coming. All because there was something over here. The devil said, don't just do away with it. He graduated high school. About four years later, he's up at the altar just crying. What do you, what, what do you want? What do you, I want to do something for God. I said, what do you want to do? I don't know, but I want to do something for God. I said, I tell you what, you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. When the time comes right for you to do something, I'm going to let you know. Okay. He won't long after that. I said, I believe you can run sound. You want to do sound? I, I love sound. He runs sound at the church now. How old is he, Luke? About 25 years old. About 25, 24, 25 years old. He's the main sound man. He comes early. He leaves late. Not only that, but you know, now, now he's, 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 he's running to an inheritance. And now that little kid that everybody wanted to kick to the curb, now he's got some little change in his pocket. I said about six months ago, it sure would be nice to have two cordless mics because you could tune mine in for me. And then when somebody come that was a lot louder than me, you could just leave mine alone. I said that on a Sunday. On a Wednesday, there was a $1,000 microphone laying on the pulpit. What the Lord? 
I look back at the sound room, he just smiled. <laughs> I'm going to pay you. No, you ain't paying me nothing. My daughter, oldest daughter, catches on. She's like, this cord is kind of limiting me too, Dad. I just, you know, Dad, my, my cord. So in rehearsal, she gets in the mic and she says, you know, Dad, it would really be nice if, if I had a microphone. I could kind of stand out here while I wanted to. Come Sunday morning, there's a box, another $1,000 microphone sitting in her seat. One by one, that platform starts catching on. Man, I tell you what, I tell you what, Brother Robert said one day, it really would be nice. You know, it would really be nice to get rid of all these cords up here. And everybody up here had a cordless mic. We could just run and shout. You know, I said, well, y'all ain't running and shouting now. What's that going to do with anything? <laughs> running and shouting now. You know, it'd just be so good. And I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. There's a witness. It won't over the next three or four days. He done bought five or six more. That guy spent close to, I mean, seven, eight thousand dollars. He's buying sound equipment. There's a spe- I can't, I can't breathe sound equipment. He's buying a speaker. I can't breathe when that cord's messed up. He's bought a cord. Now I get to where I don't even, act, don't even breathe it. I just order it myself and pay for it. But you see what the, what the, what some wanted to discard. God said, I'm gonna raise it up. And I'm going to put life in it. Our praise and worship leader graduated from our school. All five praise singers graduated from our school. Our drummer graduated from our school. Our keyboardist and organist graduated from our school. All the laity in our church, they all graduated from our school. We got a world missions director graduated from our school. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And some of you are trying to let the devil tell you, oh, just hoard that little bit of money you won't going to give. You better write that check and you better write it big because there's a revival that God's about to pour out in the midst of there's a revival that God's about to pour out in your midst y'all got about 10 more minutes here we go Acts let's go to Acts for just a minute And when they had gone through the Isle of Pappas, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Because the Jews rejected it, God sent Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. He was of the deputy of the faith, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man. Sergius Paulus had, had called for Paul and Barnabas. And he desired to hear the word of the Lord. Your brook's dried up. God don't ever let your brook dry up without then giving you a word. Are you listening? Is Sunday night just going to be another ordinary service? No. Are you just going to reach in and invest what you want to do? Or are you going to let God speak to you about what you need to do? Oh, this is just a pull and a push for an offering. No, this is a pull and a push for a soul. This isn't about just money. Understanding it takes money to do anything. Go through a drive through you better have money. Go to Disney, you better have a lot of money. 
hog hunting, deer hunting in Ohio, fly into Durango, skiing, you better have some money. It takes it. Can God do it without the money? No. Well, I lost you there. Because your money is your sacrifice. And God does nothing for his people without them first sacrificing. Where there is no vision, you've got it. The people perish. It never said the man with the vision would perish. But it did say the people would perish. Too many churches are dying. And it's not because of the man behind the pulpit. It's because of the less of the sacrifice that sit on the pew. And whatever number God needs in this building on Sunday night, it needs to exceed it and go far above it by the men and women that represent in this sanctuary. Oh, but I can't do it. If it was your grandkids, you would. Oh, I can't do it. If it was your children, you would. Oh, I can't. may be seated. Pastor, am I all right still? If I get out of line, you look at me. I'm okay sitting down. It's okay. Don't tell me it's too much to invest in a Christian school weekly, monthly, and yearly. But yet you'll go to a Target and you'll spend $70 on a video game that you don't have a clue what is even in it. Don't tell me it's too much to invest in a Christian school weekly when you'll pay the, the dues that it takes to put your kids in the city sports department. 65, 75, 105, 195. And then some folks want to gripe and complain and say our money needs to go toward missions. It is going toward missions. It's going to missions in the kids and the lives of... I said it's going toward missions and grandkids and great-grandkids and your kids and everybody else's kids and... The project kids and the white kids and the brown skinned kids and the black kids. We don't care what color they are. There's a mission field in Anderson. There's a mission field in Anderson. God never gives a word, but that word brings a sacrifice from us. Without a vision, the people perish. That vision's given, it's been given to you. Now God is pleading with you, speaking to you, that you got to leave your place of comfort. you got to walk in faith. you got to sacrifice. Oh, it gets a little better for some of you. Kids now. Brother Thornton, I, I'm not old, but I'm not young. From the sound man to the media technician to musicians... To musicians, to greeters, to parking lot attendees. I started looking down the other night when I was getting ready for this service. And I looked and I said, 90% of who's in leadership in our church is 30 years and younger. And I got to looking at all of them and I thought, every one of them's connected somehow to that school. That school that some said it, we'd, be, we'd be better off, I've heard some say, we'd be better off if we never started a school. Oh, what you're saying is, you'd be better off if you didn't have souls on the property five days a week. Some folks say, I can make a difference in a Target parking lot. Listen, if you can't make a difference in somebody's life five days a week, eight hours a day, you ain't going to make a difference in somebody's life in a Target shopping line somewhere. 
but I don't have no grandkids and I don't have no great grandkids. Can't you rejoice when they're baptized and you hear pastors say, this is one out of our school. This is a grandparent connected to our school. This is a mom and daddy connected to our school. My God. Oh, it gets a little better. The man of God is inconvenienced to go to the widowed. Widow's inconvenience to sustain the man of God. Out of her sacrifice, God is never inconvenienced. He just provides for the widow woman and says, but when it starts raining, you've got to get out and work for yourself. Then the son dies and the widowed and the prophet is inconvenienced. Somebody had to do something in order for him to live. So we've gone through it. I can tell you about how I graduated from it, how it saved my life. I can tell you how our school has produced the pastor and the first lady of our church for the last 21 years. I can tell you how the leadership in our church has been produced out of that school that some said, oh, we'd be better off without it. I can tell you the church would have never survived. Without that miracle of trying to sustain that widow. I've told you some of you this before. There's another part to this. Children. Children that are suffering and dying every day. Children that are being molested, beaten, sacrificed, turned their backs on. All because mom and dad has been raised in a generational curse. And the only thing that can break it is God. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen? If I could tell you tonight, you can take $5,000. And you can save a kid's life. What would happen tonight if I'd say you can take five, six, whatever it is. I don't know what it is here. You can take five, six thousand dollars and you can save a little girl's life who's being molested by a stepdaddy. And you give her a little breath of fresh air on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can bring that kid's you can pick her up or you can give her mama gas money and tell her the tuition has been paid for. I just want you to take the baby to school. You can buy a few uniforms. You can buy her a book bag. You can put a few pencils in the back. She's already going through hell. The hell she's walking through is just a normal life. She don't know like you know what she's even facing. It's just a normalcy of life. And all you're trying to do is say, pull them out of it. I'm going to get them out of it. I'm going to pull them out of it. It's going to take a little sacrifice and a little bit of money. But I'm going to see this baby live again. come out of one prayer room. Sister Garnett comes out of another prayer room. She's got tears flowing down her face. She looks at me and she says, honey, she says, God's calling me to a ministry. I said, let's start it. Is it an old folks home? What is it? You can be seated. She said, oh no. She said, God wants me to save some children in the city. I said, that sounds like a good job to me. I'll buy you a bus, honey. We'll put, you, we'll put you out there. Let you, we'll let you go pick up kids for Sunday school. You can have bus van number five. Oh, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bringing them in. Oh, yeah, Lord, come on. Let's go. Let's go get them and bring them in. She 
said, oh, I want to be a foster parent. <laughs> where's the water, God? God, where's the water? Well, if you listen to your wife, it's going to sustain you. So here I go. I go from almost getting out of a minivan to driving one of them fancy cars like them preachers drive. I'm almost there. Bishop St. Clair, where there's no slobber and drool on my jackets when I stand up to preach. I, I've almost got it. My youngest is four years old now. I mean, you know, I'm creeping up out of this thing. So here they come. Over the last 13 years, and I tell you this, Sister Garnett is watching. She's been praying for this service. Out of the last 13 years, we've adopted three children. One, her name goes by Delilah. She's a beautiful brown-skinned girl. Mother and father originated from El Salvador. Her mother had issues that could not be controlled. Sent outside the country back home again due to the issues. Her dad on his deathbed the last year of his life asked me if I would take care of Delilah and her two sisters. I promised him they'd always have homes. So Delilah was adopted into our family. Lula and Lucera were adopted in two other families that's very close to us in our church. We kept the girls together. Before he died, Solomon died. He repented. And at about 98 pounds, dying with cancer, we baptized him in the presence of his three daughters in Jesus' name. He was filled with the Holy Ghost two weeks before he took his last breath. Doesn't change the fact that now I've got another two-year-old to Another call comes in. Oh, we got a little boy. Oh, let's go get him. Oh, sounds good. Let's just run and go get him. We go get him. His name is Diablo. You know the story. You've heard it. I come home one night from preaching. She's picked him up. She's pacing the floor every three or four hours saying, You are not your name. You are not your name. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your name. And finally I say, What are you doing? What is his name? Diablo. So I left two days ago. And when I come back, she's sleeping with the devil. <laughs> you are not your name. I plead the blood of Jesus. She wouldn't even speak his name. They called him Baby D. Baby D. They signed him over. They had other things they couldn't kick, habits they couldn't break loose of. Daddy said, you're more than welcome to raise him. I'm glad I know he's mine, but you're welcome to raise him. 56-year-old father, big drug dealer in our city. He said, I'll never give you problems. I'll always be watching over you. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Mother, 32 years old, sells herself for the next hit of drugs. 32 years, and literally she looks like she's a 65-year-old woman. Teeth are gone. Drugs have rotted her teeth out of her mouth. We take Davin, and we adopt him. Davin's six years old. Next month, he'll turn seven. Davin's been diagnosed with different situations, sensory issues. He's been diagnosed with, with fetal alcohol syndrome. Brain damage because of the alcohol that was... 
poured into the mother in the wound. Has issues every day. Sees four to five therapists every week. He's coming out of a lot of things. Doctors are amazed at what he's able to do. He's a bright young kid. He's athletic. He outruns anybody in his class. They said he'd never be able to recite his ABCs. He can recite them nearly backwards. God's brought him a long way. Children that are dying. We can't get satisfied by a brook. And we can't get satisfied just going to a barrel. When there's sons and daughters that are laying lifeless. A few years later, Davin's brother comes into care. Oh, yeah. You know what we did just a few months ago, don't you? December. Oh, yeah, that's what we did. We took that one-year-old and we adopted him. He turns two in the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. I'm 48 years old and I'm starting all over. When I thought when she came to me 13 years ago, I'd about lose my mind. I wonder why are we doing this? And now at 48, I'm thinking, why didn't we do it a lot younger, a lot many more years ago before now? Tuesday, we'll close out because our house is full. Tuesday, we'll close out. My wife will shed tears and we'll be no more licensed foster parents. But hear me out. Those kids that we've adopted, that little school that some wanted to close, now them kids get up every morning. I'm doing it all over again. And they go right across the street to that house. These kids, their last name only by adoptions, Garnett. They're not fourth, fifth, sixth generation Pentecost. They got problems. Some of their parents have been deported. They know it. They, they, uh, Davin knows who his mom is. Davin sees her. Davin don't want much to do with her. Davin knows that, that, that things, that smoking. He says smoking has messed her up. And he understands all that. He goes and sits in a kindergarten, in first grade class in an apostolic Christian school and every morning over that boy who's got fetal alcohol and sensory issues and brain damage and every other issue his teacher gets up and says we're going to open this day with prayer and his teacher prays the prayer of faith over all them little bitty kids and Prayed it for all them little bitty kids. And some folks, some folks never see that. They just want to complain about it's an expense. They just want to talk about how expensive it is. Oh, yeah, it's expensive. I understand it's expensive. But so is your family plan with AT&T on your cell phone is expensive. Come on, we need to shout about that right now. I'm telling you, God is doing something in this room. It's going to be revealed tomorrow evening, but God's doing something right now. I know I'm the middle man, but in the name of Jesus, I pray for more faith than ever hit this congregation in its existence. I pray for more faith to overcome these men and women of God. You can be seated. I'm closing. Musicians, you want to come? Davin's mama, Sister Garnett, she said, Davin wants a guitar strap. I said, I go by the music store and buy a guitar strap. He wants to take his guitar to church about three weeks ago. So now on any given service, Davin's on the front seat with his mama. He's got this cool guitar strap I picked out. He's got that guitar and he's watching Nate Roberts, his brother-in-law, and he's trying to act it. Oh, he's just playing. And them older sisters in our church will walk by him and say, in the name of Jesus. 
He's going to lead worship right here in this church one day. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. They walk by his little brother. When Sister Garnett takes him out for Sunday school on Sunday morning, that little marker waved to every elder on this side of the church. We're still in the COVID in North Carolina. All the COVID section, he'll wave. They'll all start waving. They know what his issues are. But them older women and men, they tell me often, they say, Brother Garnett, when your wife walks that boy by us, there's something that hits us and says, I believe one day he might just preach the gospel in this church. If we can just hold on to what we got. I tell y'all, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's worth every dime in your pocket. It's worth every prayer that you pray. It's worth every run around this building you run. It's worth every time you lift your hands. When that school opens, it's going to be worth everything you prayed, every worship you've given to God, every bit of finances you give to God, because God sometimes puts you in an inconvenience. For an opportunity. As we all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's talking to saints of God in this place tonight. God's speaking to you. It's rained long enough. You've depended on God's provision long enough. It's time for you to go in your field. Bring it in. There's a son that's dead on the, the table. It needs to be resurrected by the vision of your man of God. Will you bring it? Will you sacrifice? Will you go without some things in order to see little Timothy in that school? Will, will you go without some things that you enjoy to see Cheyenne at that little desk surrounded by women and men of God? sacrifice will you say God you've been good to me so long and if I have to go without a few things I may not know them by name but I know I give I may never know their situation but I know I give I've made it happen for that little boy who's being raised by a drug addict I made it happen for them to come to the house of God Will you allow God to inconvenience you for an opportunity to change the life of some man, some woman, some child, some teenager? What will you do? These altars are open. What I want you to do is I want you to come tonight and I want you to do what Paul and Barnabas did to bar Jesus when he tried to say, don't bring that mess here. I want you to come tonight and I want you to set your eyes in prayer against doubt that's trying to tell you, let's just leave the woman and the child alone. Come on. I want you to come set your eyes on that doubtful spirit. And I want you to say, God, this is just an inconvenience for an opportunity. This is going to take the Pentecostals of Anderson to a level that you could have never got. 
without the sacrifice that you're about to give. In the name of Jesus.